Welcome to Scott Pilgrim versus the podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are going to be taken down because this podcast is all about being versus yeah. Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life, the first volume of Scott Pilgrim by Brian Lee O'Malley, published August 8th, 2004 by Oni Press. If you haven't read it, go read it. It's a great book. We're going to be talking about it. We're going to be spoiling it. We're going to be discussing it as we slowly lead up to Netflix's anime version of Scott Pilgrim that's coming out later this year. But as we talked about in the preview episode, this is a book that we read a long time ago on our live show. Many we visited again on the podcast on 2016. Yeah. Um, but we haven't read it in a while, and we all presumably read it again now. So, Of course we did, on. Alex. We're the podcast. We're the verses, and we're ready for a fight. We're yeah. The, yeah. We're the eighth gonna, evil ex. I'm going to beat you into coins. Yes. Well, so this is a book that, again, I, I personally have not read since 2016. I don't know about you guys, but what was it like revisiting it now? What was your take on it? Actually, before we do that, real brief recap of the book for anybody who it's been a while that you've read it. Maybe you jammed through all six volumes and you're just wondering about the first one. So we meet Scott Pilgrim, who lives in Canada with his friends. He is kind of dating a 17-year-old named Knives Chow, except they never kissed, they never hugged, they barely held hands. Everybody is razzing Scott pretty hard for it, and he's being a little bit of a jerk about it. He's also getting over a previous breakup. Though that isn't an excuse for his behavior. In the midst of this, a girl <laughs> literally starts running through his dreams. It turns out this is Ramona Flowers. Skating, I would say. Uh, skating. Skating through his dreams. Blading, yeah, technically, guys. Blading. Oh, okay. shit. Okay. Oh, that's what, yeah, dude. That's why people tune into Shredding the podcast. Just to through get. his dreams. <laughs> This yeah. sort of information you wouldn't get otherwise. Ramona is a delivery girl from America, but she's working for Amazon.ca and through a series of circumstances, ends up meeting Scott. They end up hooking up and they end up dating, but not before he finds out that he is going to have to battle her seven evil exes. We meet the first one here who he beats in a enormous fight at a gig for his band, Sex bob takes him down Sex and he just gets... Gets a couple of uh, gets a couple of coins, but not enough for boy bus fare. So this mm. is a wild mashup of romance comic, a little bit of manga going on in there. You've got some fight stuff happening. You have some video game stuff. Yeah, like we talked about in the preview episode, this definitely felt like a sex bob when it dropped. It just Whoa. felt like something fresh and nah. new that you had never See seen before. But now we're almost two decades down the road. Do you guys think it still holds up? Well, first, uh, thank you for the recap. Uh, secondly, I feel like when uh, describing the art, it's 8-bit uh, meets cartoony with a dash of anime is how I would describe it. Did you write okay. that down? Is, it, is yes, that written on your hand? <laughs> I, I did because I've been, think, I've been thinking about it a lot. How do you describe the style? Like, how would you describe it? Um, because it is so unique, it brings you into this kind of uh, cool world. And you know, for people who haven't seen Canada before, this art style is their first ever Canadian experience. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. if you go to and Canada, it's, it's like this. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's like exactly this what it's like. It's black and white. It's yep. yeah. It's really everybody just, very big eyes with just pupils in them. Yep. And that's it. Yeah. And, and if you fight a Canadian, they turn into coin. loonies and toonies. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Other than that, though, well, Justin, what about you? What was your impression revisiting this now? Uh, it's a great read, and it, it was such a revelation, I feel like, in the first read. It's, it, I almost feel like Knives first hearing Sex bob this book is such a like eye-opening, like, whoa, I didn't know it could be like this. And yeah. maybe it's also a generational thing because it combines so many interests the comics, obviously, but like uh, video games with the like sex with the Babam reference, uh, the coin, like very River City Ransom. If you remember that old game, like Streets of Rage, maybe Streets of Rage, maybe a little bit all about the coins and, and the way that it's able to combine that and sort of just like show the premise rather than saying it like he's fighting the first evil X before we know what's happening. And it's that sort of being ahead of the audience that I just really it just pulls you up you wash you wash away with this book and it's awesome yeah i i agree it's like um going back and reading this is uh, kind of got me that excited like when i would reread like calvin and hobbes or something great from my childhood that has like this wit and unique view of the world it's magical it's different but it's also the same so uh yeah there is something uh, about rereading it uh and kind of going back which is really nice um, uh, the first time you're kind of blown away like a knives, and uh, I think that's a great analogy, Justin. We are the knives in the story. We're the a knives. Bit. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. the knives. And uh, I just think, uh, yeah, I I loved it the first time I read it. Rereading is great to kind of you forget about certain details and stuff, especially the difference between the book and then the movie. But man, uh, just so great every time. The thing that I was really struck by this time is the build of the book. You know, I we know what's coming. We've read this several times at this point. We've thought and talked about this book a lot. But the way that it starts as this very indie manga influence book about a guy dating in Canada. There's some jokes. There's some references. He's in a band. But it felt, feels like for most of the first quarter to half of the book, it feels like any indie comic of the time, just a slice Mm. of life. And then it starts to slowly weave in these weird bits, but it takes its time to do it from Ramona running through his dreams where again, that could be any indie book, you know, Oh, he pictured a girl in his dreams and then he meets her in real life. But then it turns out she actually is running through his dreams. You don't know what subspace highways is that throws you for a loop. You don't understand what's going on, but also all the things with Patel first sending him an email and then sending him a letter to say we're going to fight, all that information is in there as it leads up to this final fight. So it technically shouldn't be a surprise. But even in that last little bit of the novel, you're getting thrown for a loop with more and more information where they're having a musical number in the novel, even though there was a musical number before. This is a big heightening of it. And then you're also getting the big information that Scott Pilgrim is kind of a loser for most of the book that most of his yeah. friends really don't like. But the big reveal at the end of the book is he's also the one of the best fighters, if not the best fighter in Canada, which yeah. brings him to this whole other level as a character and explains a lot of the things that are going on there. So this is a long way of saying I was just very impressed with the arc of the book, the way that it paced out throughout. And that's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, I agree with that, especially in relation to the romance. Like, I feel like the romance is so well done and it takes you there to sort of meeting someone when you're you're young for the first time and you, like, love them or just want to be near them. And 
that's such a such a well done thing. Uh, what I want to throw out there in relation to the movie, like now that we've seen it, we've seen it in two different mediums. Going back to the comics is interesting. It sort of refreshed it for me. Is it the same for you? Yeah, guys? yeah, definitely. It really has. Well, Pete, talk about that a little bit because you were saying on the preview episode that you've watched the movie a lot, a lot. So it's a fun movie just to watch clips of or just kind of go down a YouTube hole of just the fight sequences or just the songs. You know, sometimes I put on that bass battle, uh, you know, real quick before a meeting, get myself pumped up. You know what I mean? Wow. Um, What kind of meet? You go in there and just wreck shit. Oh, man, I come in hot, dude. You know what I mean? Come in fiery. Um, But I I can't imagine you coming in hot to a work meeting. (laughs) That's dangerous, perhaps. It is. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm almost fired every day, Justin, and I just want you to know that. Yeah. Fired yeah. up and fired also. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is one of those things where it, um, it's kind of like this thing of like it kind of blew up, right? We got to uh, interview uh, O'Malley on the show at one time, and it was really cool. And then, like, everybody started liking the comic. It started this thing of, like, you read it, you feel like it's a personal connection. you kind of like, all oh, this cool thing that... Uh, and then it blew up, became a movie, and then kind of going back to the comics is a great kind of reminder of what you fell in love with, you know, like how much mm. we put on these things, how much of our story we kind of see reflected. I r- specifically really like uh, when rereading it is like Kim and like how like complicated these relationships are that we're just kind of thrown into, you know, the tension between Scott and Kim is awesome. It's great, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, there's just like these were all these relationships, different band members and how everybody interacts. It's just such a kind of cool way where we're not like this is so and so and she's like this and he's like that. You know, they don't do any of that, but you're just kind of thrown in the middle of it. And as it goes on, you learn more about them and why they are the way that they are. Um, It's just such a, a smart way to do it and very cool. Uh, Maybe this is – oh, I was just going to yeah. add on to what you're saying, Justin, if that's okay. The uh, In terms of the refresh of it, the other thing that I was structured, uh, surprised by or reminded by other than the whole arc of the book is how much O'Malley plays with the comic book form in here, which was, yeah. I think – Almost more than like the cultural references or anything, thinking back to 2004, I think that's the thing that I was really struck by. Things like Scott and Ramona sitting on the swing set and Scott being like, "Ah, I just got off a bad relationship. Maybe we'll talk about that in volume three. I remember that throwing me for a loop when I read that because I felt like I'd never seen that sort of meta wig commentary before, or at least not very often. Or other things like just changing up how the chapter breaks happen, that it doesn't feel rhythmic, but every single time it hits you in a different way and tells those chapter breaks in a different way. Um, I I would throw out there, and I say this in a complimentary way, I think part of that comes from the fact that O'Malley didn't know what he was doing. And uh, again, this is complimentary. He had done one book by this point, Lost at Sea, and admittedly, he didn't know a ton about manga, and he didn't know a ton about anime. He certainly had some references, but he didn't have a lot of them. So he was throwing himself in this form, which could be a total disaster, you know, saying like, oh, I could do that. I don't really know much about that, but I could do that. But I think what that led to is 
making these happy accidents that make something really sing. And that really worked in this case. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And and it's funny, like we're saying, coming back to this after sort of only being exposed to the movie made me really like some of the comic aspects more. Like, mm-hmm. like in general, like I like Michael Sarah, but he's a little miscast, I think, as Scott Pilgrim. Oh, he's not, hot take. Hot take. Oh. He's not. I think Scott, Michael Sarah is a little like, you know, he ends up playing like very shy, like a little like more of a geeky version of it. And Scott's more of just like, would you say like he's just more of a goof, like a more like mm. extroverty goof, I feel like. And so rereading the book, I, I got back in on the character. That's interesting. And especially it especially comes through in the Ramona scenes. I think the romance works so much better in the comic compared to the movie. Like mm. especially like the the date, the sex, the almost sex scene that happens definitely plays better in the comic, I feel like, than the movie. I agree with that. Uh, I'm going to throw something out to you, well, Justin. Who should have been cast instead of Michael Sarah? Ooh, that's out of all a time. tough. We have, we have a time machine in this case, and you can cast anybody in there in the right age. You could go back in time and cast a young Tony Danza if you would like. Oh, what? nice. Wow, you, wow. I can't believe I think we were all thinking Tony Danza for this. I, I got to say I would go back in time and cast baby Hitler personally, but Oh my god. Yeah. With this why would you do this again? Why? Yeah, I think would it's a good keep, it takes Jesus the it takes the blood off your hands and it uh, uh, maybe stop. It gives <laughs> him an artistic outlet. You you could see what happens. I yeah. think what's interesting that Justin's kind of touching upon a little bit. I do take a little bit of a difference. I don't think O'Malley's choice was a happy accident. I think he took some big swings and then found a lot of great stuff that he kind of worked on and discovered. But I I do think, though, what's interesting about going back to it is like, to me, the first time around, and I'm sure it's because I'm different, uh, I didn't think Scott was so douchey. Like, I didn't think he was such a kind of like, uh, uh, you know, like it didn't occur to me like all of his kind of foibles, all of his, uh, but now it seems glaring like how undeserving this guy is of of, <laughs> of the things that he has and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting on like little things that you go back. It's because, uh, Justin, you focused on the romance of it, which is, I yeah. agree. Like, I love love. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're a big fan of relationships, so uh, it's interesting to see what people kind of are drawn to. Uh, uh, but I, I just, I think that um, I think we all can agree, though, that the comic is usually always better than whatever comes next. Well, I, I, that is often the case, but I, I also think every other aspect of the movie was cast perfectly, like. And oh, in yeah. a shockingly, the, the way they bring the the stuff, the characters on the page to the screen. But I have it's my all alter- star cast, all star like, cast. Really, we Chris talked about Evans this. Is best role, maybe. Wow, that's a hot take right there. The person <laughs> I, I think could be a great Scott Pilgrim is a younger Paul Rudd. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know if I he don't has know the why. Luck, I want but... I want to boo that. I want to boo you for saying mm-hmm. that, but I don't know why. You just Here, it's here's, a natural here, Here's all I'm saying. You get young Paul Rudd, who is the same age as current Paul Rudd, and baby right. Hitler in a room together. Put them in front of Edgar Wright. Why? See who gets the role, you know? Oh, like a bake-off? who gets the yeah, role. Yeah, classic bake-off. A head-to-head audition? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Did you know that baby Hitler was actually up for Ant-Man? Yeah. <laughs> 
It's a shame. It would now, this is a good fact. It's crazy to say that the movie might have been better. Uh, <laughs> the, the, one, the most least. recent, yeah. Uh, yes. Quantumania, it's a possibility. Uh, I also thought, rereading this comic, I think this is maybe the first time I ever uh, really knew about a- what Amazon was. I feel like, or like the Amazon did deliveries anyway. Oh, I was like wow. a delivery for Amazon. Amazon's yeah. where you order books. That's mm-hmm. hilarious. Wow. It that's... is funny to look back on that just in an internet sense. Like Scott's supposed to be, like you were saying, a doof anyway. So of course he's not going to understand the internet. But like you're saying, the whole idea of logging onto the internet, getting your email, ordering things directly from the internet and they get delivered. That was Pretty new. So, yeah, yeah. it's a little bit of a time capsule there. I also think in terms of the time capsule aspect, there's some language that probably you can't use anymore. Well, and let's throw out this. Perhaps something that is um, problematic is him dating a high schooler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, it's something that, you know, it it was – it wasn't. It was something that at the time everyone's making fun of him for doing it. But I feel like now it's aged a little bit poorly, and we're like, "Oh, you can't do that, dude." <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think this gets into something that we were talking about a little bit in the preview episode. That, in a very similar way to movies like Fight Club and other movies, a lot of people have just misinterpreted what Scott Pilgrim was about, and they're like, "This is an instruction manual for how I should act." And yeah. I do think. You get something a little similar with the graphic novel, maybe not with the knives thing, but in terms of the Ramona thing where he's stalking her around a party. He's thinking about her all the time. He coerces her into going out on a date, but he's not a good guy. You know, like we've been talking about, Scott is not a good guy. Like he's very clearly not a good guy. And I don't think Brian Lee O'Malley is like, Scott's awesome. You got to be like Scott. This is how you pursue girls. Instead, what he's writing from is a place of, this guy has clearly been heavily damaged by whatever relationship became before came before this. I've right. indicated that to you. He is making a terrible decision here in terms of dating Knives Chow. Knives doesn't know better because she's young and in love with like this rock star or who she thinks is a rock star, but he should know better and everybody tells him he should know better. And then the same thing with Ramona where it's not it's not abundantly clear in the first book at least who Ramona is, what she wants, or why she's dating Scott. So she becomes what, uh, I think this was around the same time, off of like Garden State and whatever, just the whole manic pixie dream girl thing. Yeah. That was when the term was invented. And that's what she is here. If I remember correctly, and we'll find out, she becomes fleshed out much better over the course of the series as we find out more about her backstory. But here, that's all she is, is she's an object of desire for Scott, and that's it. And that's something that over the whole of the series probably ages well, but just in terms of this volume is something that really encapsulates a lot of what was wrong with the media in the 2000s. I, yeah. I would like to say, though, as far as uh, Michael Sarah casting, the one thing I did like was the fact that, like, Michael Sarah doesn't look like somebody who can be an amazing fighter. And that, and that was something from the comics where Scott Pilgrim is not beefy. He's got little arms, uh, but for some reason <laughs> he's an unbelievable fighter. And that's just the kind of the magic of this comic and uh, that anybody can be these unbelievable things. So I think like 
that's one thing I liked about casting Michael Sarah is he looks like someone who couldn't fight, but when you watch him fight, it is believable somehow, you know? Well, what if he went in the other direction? Pete, just to throw it out of you, like John Cena, you know, as Scott Pilgrim? Like, you get the fighting thing, so it's indicated there and teased well, but you don't expect him the other way, and he's a funny, charming dude. It could work. Yeah, yeah. Great, thanks. <laughs> good, good discussion. Yeah. What else did you pull out of the book, you dudes? What else jumped out to you? You dudes. Uh, the, well, like sort of off uh, what we're talking about, like the reason I feel like uh, Scott is is with Knives is because it's like the absolute, he, know, he doesn't want to like be with her and he doesn't want to have like a relationship with her, I feel like. So in this second read, I was at first, I was like, oh, it's bad that he's dating a high schooler. But as I read, I was like, oh, it's it's actually he's not trying to take advantage of this younger person. He's like trying to he's been so damaged that he has no it's the only safe harbor for him. And it's very selfish, like we're talking about. He's not being a good guy, but he's just sort of standing next to her because he needs the adulation that she's giving him. Yeah, I think that's fair. And to be clear, you're not excusing his behavior so much as no. explaining it. And well, and I think yeah. I, I'm just trying to understand why it was such a choice to have him do that. And I'm trying to get in the head of like Brian Lee O'Malley writing this character. And I think you're right when you say it is off of the relationship. It's him being sort of damaged. But he doesn't go out and sick say it. He's just sort of showing that he is in this absolutely uh, – this relationship that will never go anywhere besides just like him meeting her at the bus. And one other thing that I'll throw out there, and this is a little bit more of an outside discussion about than specifically about the book, but you don't have to have characters who make the right decision or do the right things all the time. And in fact, it's often stronger if you don't. You know, you the misunderstanding. Right, exactly. And then you have the blurred lessons, and spoiler here, but over the course of six volumes, Scott Pilgrim becomes 10% better, 20% better. Like, he doesn't become yeah. a better, good person, but he learns some lessons and ultimately grows up a little bit. And that, to me, is a much stronger choice than having somebody who's like, I shall not date a 17-year-old, I never would do that. It's a bad thing that he does. But we're not supposed to, again, learn from him or idolize him, even though he's the main character. And I think there's this disconnect for people, both in movies and TV shows and books and everything, where they're like, the main characters need to be good, upstanding people. How dare you make them do bad things? Therefore, they're villains. And it's not as simple as that. Pete? Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I really think that, um, well, two points I wanted to bring up. I think that that's one of the things that I really love about Scott Pilgrim is it gives you hope. Like, here's this kind of loser kid uh, who just happens to be the greatest fighter you've ever seen, uh, but he struggles. He's not, you know, he kind of, he gets better, you know, like he improves, he doesn't give up, you know, so it gives you, there's a lot of hope and heart in this story, which I, I, I think is really great. But secondly, what we're not talking about is if you take a bus in Canada, it's almost impossible not to fall in love with somebody. It is one of those mm -hmm. small ro romantic things you can do in Canada is get on a bus and try not to fall in love because it is just magic on wheels. Yeah, like a lot of people talk about aphrodisiacs being like oysters yep. and things like that, but Canadian yep. buses are the ultimate oh, just, aphrodisiac. Yeah, yeah. and Canadian turnout. oysters are Timbits that you get at Tim Hortons, like yeah. donut hole. They're places, tiny donuts. So. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yum, yum. <laughs> I love them on the half shell. Yes. Oh, nice. 
Uh, what else? I really like the fact that it was Ramona's shoes or Mr. Silly's shoes. That's a very funny joke. That Fun. jumped out to me this time. I enjoyed yeah. that. I also, my wife and I, for since 2004, you know, or uh, thereabouts, have said, have you seen a girl with hair who looks like this to each other constantly? <laughs> like, I don't know. I was trying to figure out reading this again. Like, why did that one line... Stick out to me as so funny that we've been saying that for almost twenty years at this point. But wait, how many people do you get to meet where you get to use that bit? I feel like we don't. I think it's something that started legitimately like when we would just go to a party, and I'd mm-hmm. go up to her and be like, "Hey, have you seen a girl with hair who looks like this?" And ah. she would do the same thing to me. So, couple of Scots in love. That's adorable. Yeah, there you couple go. of pilgrims. Yeah, wait, one other thing that I want to say is that uh, I don't want to disregard the fact that Scott is very funny. Like, it's a, he's a funny character. Like, yeah. that scene where he is following Rhoda around to the party, don't do that, anybody. Like, that's not a great thing to do. But the way that it's drawn with Scott uh, front and center, like, close to the frame and Ramona far away in the frame, it's Bradley O'Malley playing with camera angles throughout the book. Yeah. And it's this chase scene that's hilarious throughout the party because of the way that he draws it. And I think that's true throughout where he knows instinctively when to push in on something or tighten up the page. So there's a lot of panels or open it up like that beautiful two page spread where it, the snow turns into the subspace pathway Ugh, so that Ramona that. and Scott can jump through that door. It's gorgeous. Such a good now, page. So let me just understand what you're saying, that you think you love how they made stalking romantic? Is that what you're trying to say? That like, No, I'm, I'm saying to my point earlier in terms of not it's funny. It's funny. To, this, but no, it makes stalking beautiful. Oh, yes. Okay, right. It's beautifully yeah, done. Like stalking is a beautiful activity. Is that what you're getting at? Peter? Well, I'm just wondering, you know, I do think it's no, can something. I actually clarify just to be clear so, so nobody clips out this audio later and I okay. never get elected president or whatever is going to happen? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, and how is your campaign going? Yeah, not great, my vote. not great. <laughs> I think I think I clinched the Republican nomination. Yes, I think you might. Great debate performance as well. You you were on the end next to Asa Hutchinson, right? Yeah, I was kind of cowering there for most of the time. The to be clear, this is what I was getting at earlier. That I think like you don't have to have a main character who is good to also enjoy watching them at the same time or take something away from it. What Scott's doing in the real world is not good. The way that it's paced out of the book is funny, and both of those things can be true. Right, like he's the Joker from the movie. The yeah, Joker. right, exactly. Like that. That Joaquin Phoenix is very funny in that movie. No, nope. yeah, no. Nope. Though, <laughs> and this is an interesting thing. Did you know they actually went to Baby Hitler first for that <laughs> role? Oh God, yeah. I mean, I, that, like, I buy, that I buy. That I believe. When you bring me out, introduce me as regular Hitler. <laughs> well, why we're just sharing dumb things in our head? I think but, Scott Pilgrim no, that was grew a, up a to become thing, right? the guy from Letterkenny, and that's why he's uh, still the strongest okay. guy in Canada. Wow, <laughs> that's that's a de- that's a Pete conspiracy theory, a fan theory, I guess we could say. Uh, one other thing I would say is like the use of music in this comic is mm-hmm. great. I feel like music's always hard in comics uh, to get any sort of audio that plays really well. And I think this book is one of the first I read that really nailed it, both from like sort of getting what was happening, but also the vibe of like hearing a great song for the first time that you love or seeing a band that is like amazing. But like they nail it. 
What's interesting, though, is when you've seen the movie and you go back and read the comic, you hear the, I, at least in my head, I hear the song from the movie. It's been long uh, enough for me that I don't. I don't oh, remember what the songs are like, but I love, I love that all the musical sequences are different as well. You have that first song from Sex Bob-Bob, which we're told very frankly is terrible. It's a bad song multiple times, even though you do get that wonderful moment that we were talking about earlier where it just pull, pushes in on knives as she yeah, completely falls in love with so Scott good. and her eyes become big old stars. Yeah. I but, hear with, arm, with Arms Wide Open from Creed. Is that what you guys okay. are talking well, about? Oh, wow. Every song. Are they yeah. Canadian? I think they are Canadian. They are Canadian. There you go. So just imagine them on stage. Right next uh, to sex just imagine Creed opening for baby Hitler. And that's the last time I'll say that. The, I hope <laughs> that that's I, true. I want to believe I really, you. I'm, uh, <laughs> man, I want it to be true. I've never wanted something more in my life. What I was going to say though, is that you have the closing number with the whole group fighting against Patel's demon ladies or whatever yeah. it is, which is very demon fun. Demon hipster chicks. Demon hipster chicks, which is a uh, fun musical number. And then contrast that with the clash at the gang number. Numbers, which are 0.4 seconds long and knock people out. Great. So funny. Very so fun. good. Yeah. Um, I, I, also I like think... the fact that it doesn't make everybody like the best at yeah. it, which is a very manga trope of, I want to be the best band of all time. And Sex Bob Bomb, pretty bad. Clash of the Gang, bad in an entirely different way. So it's not about people being an amazing musicians. We get that a little later on. Uh, so much as what the indie music scene is, probably, is actually like. So there you go. Yeah. Wow. We're talking to music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say, it also reminded me that I think when the movie sort of uh, got a little wobbly, because this movie, like when it came whoa, out, didn't, didn't do super well. Take it easy! And I think the the dancing uh, demon hipster um, band people was where I was like, oh, I feel like this is where the movie's losing people who don't understand the comic. We're not here for shots fired against the movie, okay? This is Scott Pilgrim versus. This podcast is versus. We are trying to take him down. Yeah. I hard disagree, sir. I think the music from the movie is a huge win across the board. All the numbers are absolutely all the creeds, the creed songs in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. By the end of this podcast, we're going to take down Brian Leo Malloser is how I'm going to oh, call him. Oh, come on. Wow. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Too far. Yeah. Too far. We like That's... him. He's a very nice guy. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not bad saying it. super nice to us when he didn't well, have we to We interviewed be. him at Comic-Cons, too, and stuff. So, yeah, I know. Anyway. He, was, he went out of his way for us, and now how, this is how you thank him. Uh, by taping an entire podcast about his oeuvre. Yes. I, revenge <laughs> is mine. Uh, God, any other any other notes of the book, Justin? You were going to say something? how you said that word. Eve. Uh, no, I think that that covered um, all of the stuff that I uh, wanted to talk about. I, I just I want to. I guess one more thing. Like I really love the, how the inevitability of Scott and Ramona in this, mm-hmm. and you just that's such a it's sort of a tricky choice to make it so guaranteed and then setting up the conflict to be about will they, won't they, basically, for the rest of the books going forward when it feels like, oh, they definitely will. But again, this book pulls off a lot of unexpected things. Well, this is jumping ahead very much, and maybe I'm misremembering this, but I think it's less will they, won't they, than they're together, you get this manic pixie dream girl meet cute 
what happens when you actually start to dig into the actual people and explore them both from the male and the female perspective? How does that relationship pan out? And how do you fight the literal ghosts of your past as they always hover over your relationships? So I'm very curious to get back into that and see if my memory of this stuff matches the reality. What were you going to yeah. say, Pete? Yeah, I was just going to say that as far as like, you know, before it became like, cause, uh, you know, we had the Batman kind of palp if that kind of stuff, but I felt like, you know, the use of the onomatopoeia action in this book, uh, is really, uh, impressive and artistic and it, it's a, it's a cool, you know, I think it kind of like it dusted from being campy to kind of, um, uh, had that kind of like indie feel in a cool way that I think was just a fun uh, kind of discovery. Yeah, great book. Glad we revisited it. Very excited to get through the entire series. If you would like yeah. to support this podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Scott Pilgrim, Apple, Spotify, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow this podcast and many other podcasts that we do at comic book live on Twitter slash X comic book club live on TikTok or Instagram comic book club live.com for this podcast and many more. And next time Scott Pilgrim versus Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Wow. <laughs> wow. We'll see you next time with arms wide open. <laughs>